Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. The barometer with sex is are you trying to numb something by doing it? Is this a bringing you something? Is it adding things to your life or are you using it as a way to take things away? Hey, U-Turners, it's Ash here, and we have one of my favorite topics that you know and love, pun intended, it's a love week. We are talking to Rachel Wright, who is a licensed marriage and sex therapist and the co-founder of the Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, Wellness Center. And I wanted to talk to her about a topic that I know a lot of you kind of sit and suffer alone with, unless you're willing to share it with a friend. And even when you do, you don't know what to do with it. And it's low libido. How do you navigate it when you have mismatched libido with your partner, or you're just having low libido in general, and maybe that aliveness that you used to have, that vitality, that sexual connection to yourself is gone? Um, is it really gone? These are some of the questions I want to ask. Um, and so Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. This is by far one of my favorite topics. And like you said, we just don't talk about it enough and it creates such a stupid stigma around it that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think there's still so much shame. And even for me working in, I mean, I wouldn't say I necessarily work in the spiritual space, but there's a lot of spiritual leaders in personal development, you know, and it's, yeah. it's interesting how like sex and spiritual teaching or money and spiritual teaching, like all of the fun things are not like allowed, like it's almost like taboo sometimes oh, in the subconscious. 100%, 100%. Yeah. It's, it's so strange to me that, you know, sex is what makes the world go round. Literally we're all here because two people had sex. Like, <laughs> it, it happens all the time, every day, wherever you are. And yet talking of the same thing with money, like we need money for food and to live and rent. And yet sex and money are like the two things that you're not supposed to bring up at a dinner party when they really feed and fuel our entire life. Oh, such a trip. Like so interesting the way society works. I, I want to know what got you into this because it's such a unique niche. And I know that everyone has their own journey with healing others. So what inspired you to work in this space? Oh, man, that's like an eight-hour answer, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to you Listen, some U-Turners have like a crazy commute, and we can just sit here and hear about your life. <laughs> I love it. Well, whatever I say, if anybody has any follow-up questions, I'm an open book. So feel free to DM me on Insta or, you know, hang out. It's I'm happy to answer questions. I've always been a really curious person. Hmm. Even as a kid, I was the I was the kid that would ask why you know, my, my parents or a teacher would say, we're going to do this. And I'm like, well, why, why do we have to do that? And 
that didn't really go away as I got older. And I just wanted to understand more and more and more. And the way that that manifested for me was really in human behavior, but specifically human behavior around relationships. Mm. You know, why we default to things like monogamy or why we don't talk about things like libido when it's something that especially women go through cycles of low libido, high libido, sexuality, the fluidity of it. Like I started learning all these concepts, the more, the more into school I got. And then when I learned that there was like a whole actual scientific industry around sex research and relationship research, I'm like, well, well, that's amazing. Let me continue to explore this. Um, and one thing kind of led to another. So I've been doing sex education and different types of sex therapy and all sorts of stuff kind of under that umbrella for, for a while now. I think I got licensed in 2013. So yeah, yeah, it's been a, been a hot minute. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, it's, it's fascinating to me when you discover a field that you didn't even know exists. And I think that this is the case for a lot of people in their career is that what they're really supposed to do is out there and they just don't know it. And so they, not everybody has that moment where they realize this kind of Holy grail, like, wow, there's a whole world of research on sex and love and what a beautiful topic. And, you know, something that you talked to me about a little bit before we started recording was we were exploring the possibility of covering millennial relationships and the differences of generations. And I just find that so fascinating because I think that we have many different generations listening to the show. Um, what, what would you say are some key differences as it relates to sex or just relationship differences in general? Well, millennials as a generation, you know, we get a lot of sluff and slack from older generations, which I think is pretty common. Like every generation that grows older, they're like, oh, these new people, they're, yeah, they're totally. music, you know, and, and like there's, there's some sort of normalcy to that. Um, but one of the biggest differences is that millennials are actually quite open mm. to things. And so we like to call it in our, in our work, the millennial mindset, like you don't have to be born between the years to actually feel as though you're more of a millennial than another generation. So it's this solution oriented figuring out what actually works for you and what feeds your soul and what makes you happy and not here's this box that society or your family or whoever told you that you have to conform to fit in and have fun being super uncomfortable for the rest of your life in this tiny box. Mm. Millennials are like, Hey, I can actually build my own box and I'm going to find other people to be in my village that mm-hmm. will not only help me build my box, but I can help them build theirs. And then maybe we can share a wall and it'll be great. Like we're so supportive of each other and don't really have a tolerance for judgment or hatred. And of course, this is a generalization and there are plenty of people born between these years that are not kind or not whatever. But on the whole, we're way more accepting of a generation. And it's we were handed a weird deck of cards. Like the hand of cards we were dealt was student loan debt, you know, an economic crisis. Many of us graduated college around the time of of the recession in 08. It's an interesting time to grow up. And there are less people having kids because Mm -hmm. of things going on in politics and climate change. And, you know, we're not taught how to communicate. So like nobody knows how to talk about everything. Mm. So we're all kind of just over it. The, The millennials that we come in contact with are like, please just tell me how I can make this better because 
I'm over it. I don't want to conform into this box anymore. You know, I love what you're saying. And it reminds me a lot, oddly, of working in counterterrorism because in my, mm. my first career, I don't know if I even mentioned to you when we emailed, that's what I used to no. do in my 20s. But working in national security, it just showed me how much history and people and generations are reactive and how, you know, millennials grow up in a post 9-11 world. And if you ask any millennial where they were standing at 9-11, they'll remember it because that's how the mind works. It remembers those traumatic moments or those crazy weather or life events, stuff like that. So it's like they remember that moment and they also remember... And I specifically remember the shifts that happened in our our governmental kind of, um, what do I want to say, like environment, um, uh, you know, whether it was realizing that suddenly you have to take your shoes off at the airport. And it's not just yeah. about taking off your shoes. It's about that mindset that comes with it, which for a lot of people is implicit in taking off your shoes is the suggestion that it's possible for somebody to have a bomb in their shoe. And so I think yes. that level of paranoia Um, created some level of reactivity in this generation where Mm -hmm. just like history is reactive, millennials are reactive to the current events of their generation. And so I think with the government being so security focused with so much paranoia in the air, I think this generation became even more starved for connection, you know? Mm -hmm. 100%. And that's it. I love that you use this word reactive because our goal at with our business, my personal goal every day is to make working on your relationship, your mental health and your sex life, a proactive thing instead of being reactive. Mm. And we're good at it when it comes to taking care of our cars or going to the dentist. Like nobody thinks twice about taking their car in for maintenance, but yet when it's time to go, you know, to couples therapy, somebody's like, well, what's wrong? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's so interesting for me because um, I think having coached so many people and having spoken on so many stages, I sometimes wonder in my space, like, how do other leaders roll when they feel imperfect themselves? You know, like there's so much work we have to continue to do on ourselves and um, to be getting out there and putting content out there. It's like, I feel this sense of additional pressure to have my shit together or not need a therapist. (laughs) And my only salvation has been to be real with this audience and with myself and just be like, yeah, I went to therapy or yeah, you know, called off my wedding because... It's just like parallel processing, I think, is just as powerful as processing. You know, sharing it with somebody else is just as powerful as going through it on your own, if not more. Oh, 100%. And, you know, for for my personal life, it's like if somebody can't talk about therapy or feelings or their experience of the world, I have a hard time creating a friendship Mm -hmm. with that person because it's it, that surface level is not something it takes so much more energy. I, I don't like pretending to be someone I'm not. And yeah. at the end of the day, I'm an emotional person and anybody else listening, I'm sure who's an emotional person is like, Oh my God, I know that feel like it's so draining to have to put on this, like, no, I'm totally cool. Just talking about the trees outside. It's fine. Yeah. It's great. You're like, it's not okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like whenever I, I used to battle anxiety, I I had really, really horrible anxiety for many years, but specifically for like a two year period, it was awful. And when I would have to cancel client sessions or move them around, I was very cognizant to tell them I am having a negative mental health day instead of I'm sick. I have a stomach ache. Um, you know, I have the flu. I wanted my clients to know that it's okay, that your mental health is 
just as important. It's the same as your physical health. Your brain is part of your body. Well, on this note of feeling, um, I don't want to say embarrassed, but hesitant to share or (laughs) being real with connecting. I know that there's a lot of people listening right now who are maybe sitting in their car or they're sitting at work with earphones on and they're thinking to themselves, yeah, I've got low libido. And the first thought they're probably having is I'm scared because when that happens and it doesn't feel fixable, they perhaps think, okay, this is going to be the rest of my life. I'm with this person and I don't want to, I don't want to hook up with them. Or they're thinking, you know, something inside of me died or it's not fixable, or I need to cheat on them. I need to find someone else. I'm sure there's a slew of thoughts that come with low libido. And I'm sure it's really scary for somebody to face because they don't know what to do next. In my particular case, I had super low libido when I was with the wrong person. And it was just because it wasn't the right person for me. And my body was giving me that feedback. But that's not the case for everybody I know. And for me, it was such a traumatic experience to be in a relationship where you don't want to connect in that way. It it was so poisonous for the connection and for me. And and it put me through a whole mind fuck with myself of, do I need to fix something? Do I need to change something? And then finally letting go of the relationship and now finding the right person. So I I would love, um, before we even get into the steps, like, is there any comfort you can offer anybody who's going through low libido? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, I just want to acknowledge off the top that I have never met a man or a woman or anyone, any human who has not experienced a roller coaster of ups and downs of their libido mm. and sex drive. That's so helpful. And we all think like, I'm fucked up. I'm the one that's experiencing this. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And there is nothing wrong with you. It is feedback right? Like, like you said so beautifully, it was that how your body was letting you know that something was off. And often I call our libido kind of a a check engine light for our whole being Mm -hmm. and relationship for sure. And it's incredibly common, Mm -hmm. you know, a female hormone cycle through 28 days, Mm -hmm. as we know, male hormones cycle through 24 hours. Oh my God. What a different planet we're on. It's crazy. Right. Yeah. So if, you know, you're on a great sleeping schedule and like, let's say it's a heterosexual relationship, the guy is waking up every day, like, cool, 6am. I'm back to where I was yesterday at 6am because the body literally resets for men. For women, we're like, cool, I'm on day seven of 28. And so I'm just kind of somewhere in the middle and we wake up feeling different every day. Wow. Yeah. It's, and we expect to perform the same every day. It's just not, it's not realistic. It's so, so that's, crazy. That's the comfort. Well, when you think about, <laughs> yeah. And when you think about the concept of, well, first of all, I loved your comfort because sometimes people just give a pep talk, you know, and like that, that to me, what you said was like really looking at the context of people you've worked with and helped. It's so much more, um, there's so much more to offer from that, you know, for people to say, okay, this is somebody who's worked with hundreds of couples and this is the consensus, you know, this is a thing and it it happens for everybody. So, um, versus a pep talk, but, um, you know, I've, I've so much to say, and I guess I can only just keep asking you questions, but you know, what, what is the first step for somebody who is going through this and they're kind of realizing, okay, this is here. I have low libido. Cause there's probably a period of a few months where somebody thinks, oh, I'm just tired. Yep. Yep. And that, with anything, whether it is libido, a substance issue, depression, anxiety, weight gain, burnout. Like, I think burnout, 
anything, I think we can all agree that we all go through some period of denial. Mm-hmm. We're, we want to, and sometimes that can be healthy because maybe it is just a bad couple days. Yeah. And we don't have to take on this burden of like, I am this now, but well, not, but, and, (laughs) and acknowledgement is the first step for anything. Mm -hmm. We cannot change something. We can't accept something. We can't do anything. We are stuck Mm -hmm. in a denial hamster wheel Mm -hmm. until we can say something is going on. And I think where a lot of us get caught up and I know I've been there, I've seen many of my clients go through this is, well, I don't want to acknowledge something if I'm wrong. I don't want to be wrong. So I don't want to say I have this or this is what's going on. And then I'm wrong. Mm. And it's okay to be wrong because when you acknowledge it, at least you're getting one step closer to figuring out what it actually is. Yeah, totally. Okay. And, um, what are some indicators maybe of low libido? I know it sounds obvious, like, uh, your libido is fucking low, but there, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's like, but there's going to be more. It's a great question. Yeah. You know, everybody has kind of a different baseline. Mm -hmm. And so one of the questions that Kyle and I get asked, my husband and co-founder, we get asked all the time is how much sex is normal to have in a healthy relationship? Yeah. I mean, I want to ask you all those trite questions because I feel like everybody's wondering them, including me. Right. Like we all are. And really the answer to that is there is no number. It's about what works best for you. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that we don't typically take the time to figure out what is best for us. So we look externally for that answer. Uh, Like when you really think about that, how, why would somebody else know how much sex we need? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's so different. It's also right. like, there's also an element of trauma and wounding that plays into it. Yep. Like I have a couple friends who are like obsessed with sex and they've been like, I don't even know what the term nympho means, but that's what they call themselves. Like I'm a nympho. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. So maybe you can educate <laughs> me on that. But uh, I don't know why I've never asked them. They always talk to me about it, but I love hearing about their sexcapades and they give me all the adventures. And one of them it lives in Paris and they have a whole nother level of sex, sexcapades out there. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to hear from you. Like, what is it? When do you know, like maybe there's some level of wounding as it relates to your sexual appetite versus I just have, I'm just in this healthy zone trying to figure out who I am or how much I want. Totally. That first of all, brilliant fucking question. I love it. Thank you. Um, you know, <laughs> sometimes they come out, <laughs> you know, it's really good. <laughs> there it's again, it takes a level of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, which as you know, and, and probably anybody hearing this knows, take some time to cultivate, right? It, it doesn't just kind of appear when we grow up in this space of looking externally for answers instead of looking internally, it does take a bit to, to cultivate that relationship with yourself and figure it out. The barometer with sex is, are you trying to numb something by doing it? And like, is this, is this a bringing you something? Is it adding things to your life or are you using it as a way to take things away? A lot of people don't even notice that they're probably numbing. Like, is there some indicators like, um, for example, you know, somebody I know that I said, what's the most important thing in a relationship to you? And they said the sex, is that fair? Like, what do you think about that? To me, that just feels like, well, why? 
Yeah. I mean, I think that every person has a different idea of what is sacred to them in their relationship. Yeah. You know, for, for people who are polyamorous or have open relationships, the physical sex is not what's sacred because they share that with many people. Mm. And then for other people who are very much monogamous and if their partner like gave a back rub to somebody else, they would feel betrayed and devastated. That is the sacred thing. So it's, it's hard to generally say that, but at the end of the day, the, the physical expression of connection is generally a, a symptom of the connection itself. Mm. So if you're having really wonderful emotional conversations and then the sex is coming from that, yeah, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like amazing. But if you're avoiding having those conversations and you're avoiding having the tough challenges or you feel a conflict coming on and you're like, Oh, they're going to be pissed at me because I didn't do this. I'll just seduce them. Mm. Like, when there's that avoidance, then we're using it as a, a manipulation tactic. And what's really fucked is that in our culture, women in media and on TV shows, even on shows like Friends, which I love, but it's still sex is framed as a way to make up for something, to apologize for something, to win control in a relationship. And that makes it this like currency, you know, it's, so I guess it kind of comes down to like maybe the, the spark before the sex, like, what is it about? Like you were saying an emotional conversation, like what moves you to want to have sex? So maybe that's an opportunity for people listening is to pay attention to, um, are you hooking up because you're moved? Are you hooking up because you're attracted? Are you hooking up because you don't want to deal with something like really paying attention to that really powerful. And Um, I know that this is such a weird, I don't know if this is a weird question, but I can't help but ask about daddy issues. Like girls say like, oh, it's daddy issues. Like what does that play into with a woman's sex life? Or I know that you can't be too sweeping in generalizations, but I know that there's probably a majority situation potentially that, or or some sort of data. So can you tell me a little bit about what does daddy issues have to do with a woman who is having a certain type of sex? So there's a theory in psychology, it's called Imago, and the theory is is that we find partners, whether they be romantic or sexual, in our life currently as as an adult to try to heal the relationship that we had with our parents. Hmm. So we subconsciously, it's not a conscious thing, we subconsciously, according to this theory, will seek out someone that will heal whatever trauma or neglect or, you know, and I say trauma, it doesn't have to be like sexual abuse. It could be, it could be that it also just could be, you know, you wanted a little bit more attention from dad and dad was working and doing the best he could. Like, it doesn't have to be law and order SVU trauma. It it can be trauma is on spectrum. Mm. Um, so, and that's really important to note because I think that word gets tossed around a lot and people think that they like have to be shot in the head or raped to consider themselves somebody who has trauma. And that's not true. Like, of course, those are traumatic and they are considered trauma, but there's many things on the other side of the spectrum and everything in between as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so if somebody has, you know, in this case, a female has a a hole kind of where her male, um, 
older male role model love was coming from, Mm-hmm. she may subconsciously seek that out through her romantic or sexual partners. Mm. So that's when we get the stereotype of, oh, she's dating older guys because she has daddy issues or, oh, she's having a lot of sex because she has daddy issues. Mm. And it's typically not this conscious, like, I'm really sad my dad didn't talk to me as much when he came home from work, so I'm going to go fuck these people. It's like... <laughs> We, we just know on a conscious level, this feels good temporarily. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like plugging a hole, but not like healing it. Like you're not like actually fixing the leak in your ceiling. You're mm-hmm. just like putting shit on it. So like the water doesn't come through that night, mm-hmm. but you're not really fixing it. That's so and that's helpful. kind of the stereotype that's been out there for that. What a helpful thought. Okay. And, um, it's, it's interesting because I've always thought like, I, you know, like obviously sex is the last thing I think about when I see my dad. And Mm -hmm. so it's always so interesting. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I see my cute little dad. He's such a little character, like bless him. The other day he lost his drone and he was posting signs around the neighborhood saying lost drone. Like, so, you know, I am not thinking about fucking anything. Like when I see this little human, of course. So it's just so interesting to see that kind of psychological tie. I mean, man, the brain, what a trip. Okay. Oh, yeah. The brain is, uh, it's something. (laughs) I mean, and that's why I say like mental and physical health, the fact that we even separate them, it it doesn't make sense to me. Like our, our brain runs our whole body. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like it, it tells us to breathe. It tells us to walk. It tells us to run when a bear comes. Like, how can we separate the emotional part of our brain from that part? It just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Totally. Totally. I'm going to do a post episode conversation about the brain because that just sparked my brain. Um, okay. (laughs) Hey, U-Turners. So sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. So you, okay, you talk about first is identifying something's going on. What can, what do you have to say to the person who says, I'm just tired? I've just been tired lately. When is that real? And when is that an excuse? Yeah. So, so I think that, you know, it, an excuse can be true and it doesn't have to be untrue to be an excuse. Um, but what I would challenge that person to do, cause I've been that person. I think many of us have been that person. Um, is why are you tired? Why are you so tired? Mm. Because that's what's going on. It's not when you want to feel connected to your partner and you get that rush of oxytocin and dopamine from being physically intimate with your partner. My boyfriend is looking at me when you're talking about the rush of oxytocin. He He just walked into the office to say goodbye to me and he just gave me like a little shimmy dance move to acknowledge his little rush of oxytocin. That's real. Oh, I love it. I love <laughs> Such it. A That's amazing. I couldn't That's help it. I, you're just either. like, you get that rush of oxytocin. He's looking at me with the pervious little eyeballs and he just shimmied at me. <laughs> That's 
incredible and what incredible timing. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So talk yeah. to me about the rush of oxytocin. I am back with you. I love, no, I love this. So <laughs> we, when we know what that feels like, that wakes us up. That makes us feel less tired. And the reality is, is that, you know, we think of sex, we think of intimacy. Sometimes when we're overtired from something else or something else is going on and it's just presenting itself as being tired, we think like, oh my God, if I start, if I like kiss him or her, I'm going to, it's going to be like this whole thing. And then it's going to be like an hour and I really need to shower. And like, we start going through this whole process when really, really we can say to our partner, Hey, I'm exhausted. And I also want to be with you. So tonight, can we do this? But like, I'm not interested in like the long game here. So I would really love to do this, but like, I'm looking at like a 10 to 20 minute situation. How do you feel about that? I feel like the person might respond back and say 20 minutes. That's the long game, girl. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So most, most women will make the length and energy required in any sexual interaction in a relationship feel longer in their minds than it is. Yeah, totally. Well, so just being clear about that and yeah, yeah, no, this is so helpful because I think for me, I made the excuse like I'm tired, but really it was like, my body's just not interested in this with you because you're a friend and not a partner. And so I wanted to ask you kind of before any, but before we go beyond identifying if there's something going on, just about this idea of spark and attraction, because I know that this is like huge for so many people, especially if they're listening and they're dating, is there probably like, uh, you know, you, you know, I feel like you're in a constant state of yes or no when you're single. Like that's at least my experience of you're walking down the street and like dudes are walking by me and I'm thinking, yes, no, yes, maybe, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like for me to get on three dates, it's like, I've, they've surpassed so many no's in my head. Um, you know, just from walking down the street to sitting down to dinner with them the first time, the second time. So I guess I'm curious, like, how does somebody figure out that kind of dance of like attraction? Like, are you, are you just not that into them? Like your body's just saying no, or it can grow with time. Like, what are your beliefs around sexual chemistry and attraction? So it's both of those things. Okay. There, there's a lot of science that's been looked at and, and researched around this. And there are kind of two different camps that have developed and that are the primary streams of thought in this area. Mm -hmm. So one of them is the, you need to be as emotionally close as possible to cultivate the most attraction possible. Yeah. So the more, you know, the person and the more you understand how that person experiences the world and what things taste like and feel like, and their experiences and emotions, the more sexually attracted you're going to be to them. Mm -hmm. The other camp says, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. And that's great. But that's also how our family relationships are. Mm. And so if we go too far into that, that the sexual piece can drop off because we're actually starting to look at them as like a brother Mm. or a sister. That's like a siren going off like, like, no, how do you stop that about it? Like, how do you, yeah, right. Cause you want that connection. So what I have found with 
many of our clients are the people who are wired for monogamy fall into that first camp. Mm, they are just closeness. naturally, yes. When the emotional closeness is there, they are totally good. And as long as that's maintained and they're inherently like they were attracted to them at the beginning and they continue to be in all of that, that that's cool. The people who aren't, those are the people who tend to struggle with the, they've fallen into the, they're my best friends or they're like my brother or sister. Mm. Because what, this comes back to like what's sacred in our relationships. And really for, for many people, the only difference between a romantic relationship and a friendship is sex. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I, I guess I, I'm listening to you talk about this and I'm thinking, okay, you know, at a certain point, don't you get close to anyone? Like, is there, what are your thoughts on this idea of the honeymoon period? Because, you know, like with my partner, I'm, I'm so in love with him and we are in the honeymoon. Like it's been, you know, I don't know, seven, eight months, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes I wonder, oh, do we just have a really good emotional connection, sexual connection, all of the connections, or is this just the honeymoon? Like, what do you have to say for people who are afraid of that? You know, because I know we're making life decisions. A lot of women are deciding who they want to marry. A lot of men, same thing. And they don't want to make a decision off of like a dopamine hit in their body. (laughs) So (laughs) how can they trust, you know, that they're like, oh, this is not just the honeymoon. This is the right partner for me. Oh man, that's you have the best questions. Um, (laughs) it's, it's really hard. And here's why the brain chemicals, the neurotransmitters and hormones that are required to, as we say in our pop culture, fall in love with somebody are different from the chemicals that allow us to have a long-term relationship with them. Mm. So there is actually a physiological difference. So when Kyle and I first started dating, if we were to be able to like extract brain fluid, which would be amazing if we can do this one day, but if we were able to, you know, extract brain fluid and look at it, I would have had different chemicals then that allowed me to build the foundation and have that initial honeymoon attraction. Kind of when you feel like you're just, all you want to do is like touch and be around that person and like, look at photos of them and like all of those things that like we've all experienced Mm -hmm. that allowed me to get to where we needed to be, or I needed to be to then make the decision to be in a relationship. Mm -hmm. But then once that honey quote unquote honeymoon phase is over, how long is it? Um, it can last anywhere from six months to two years. Holy shit. So like a lot of people are getting married at the one year mark. Is that a dangerous decision? potentially. Fuck. This is dark, yeah. Rachel. What do, we, <laughs> what do we do? I mean, okay. And does yeah. age factor in like, is the fact that like I've had, or somebody who's listening has had less relationships or more relationships help educate them on what's best for them? Or is it absolutely just completely known? Okay. That's helpful. No, it absolutely does. Yeah. Because we, the more you experience that dopamine rush, the more you experience that first part, like that first part for me with Kyle, for example, was unlike any other first part that I had had. Mm. So while I could very much say, yes, I'm well aware that I'm in this quote unquote honeymoon phase, it was very different. And I knew that there was something different. And I knew that he was, 
like my person. It yeah. was just so clear. Yeah. That's ex- that no matter what. And I, I thought that that was such bullshit. You know, so many people totally. were like, Oh, when you know, you know, hundred percent you. Yeah. I, and then I met Kyle and I was like, Oh, Totally. I've had that experience for the first time. And it's so funny because I've known my partner since I was five, but I never noticed him because we have an age gap. Um, and so he like suddenly got hot and adult, like, like recently. And I was just like, what the fuck? (laughs) But, um, you know, it was interesting because I've had so many relationships where it was like a a piece of sand in your shoe, like perfect pair of shoes, but like, God, all I can think about is that little fucking pebble in it, you know? Yes. And, and with him, it's like just such like clean energy, just like, Oh, we, when you know, you know, I'm having that experience. What do you think that is? I wish I could tell you. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, to um, me, it feels like a recognition. I don't know. It feels like, um, yeah. like you want the same things. Like everything's just so obvious in some way. I don't know. It just feels it's, I don't like when people say it's easy because I truly do, like, yes, there are seasons of ease and it, it shouldn't feel hard necessarily but when people say like oh it should be easy I think it sets this expectation up of like we don't have to learn how to communicate we don't have to learn how to navigate conflict like we're never gonna fight that that's not true like you need conflict you you need to fight that's how we grow and we go grow closer and learn about each other um but you want to learn how to do that with the person and so in that way it feels easy Mm -hmm. like you want to be the best version of yourself mm-hmm. to show up for them. And, and they want the same. Yes. And if you say, you know, Hey, we've been arguing every time we get in the car, can we sit down and talk about this? They're not like rolling their eyes and like, Ugh, why? They're like, yeah, I don't want to fight either. Let's talk. So like, it's easeful, yeah, totally. but it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's effort versus work. I feel like it, Exactly. Exactly. And just like with friendship, we need to put in that effort. Like we, we get what we put in. If we don't talk to a friend or reach out to a friend for a year and a half, that's not a very deep friendship and that's okay. But like, we need to acknowledge that personal responsibility. Yeah. It's so interesting. I feel that in the working in this space that I guess is kind of the influencer space or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, there's different friendships. Like some are real friendships. Some are like business transactional friendships. Yep. And yep. it's so interesting when, um, my friends know it's like a huge trigger for me when we bring somebody transactional into the circle. Cause I'm like, Oh, don't bring like a person who's just trying to take into this sacred love, you know? I know. I can't, um, I cannot do those relationships. Yeah. And it's not good. It, like, it's fine if that is the context of things. And, you know, like Rachel, meet Joe, Joe, meet Rachel. This is how you can help each other, help each other. And then bye. Yeah. Like totally. that's different, but like, don't bring someone into my life under the guise of a deep relationship with the actual outcome being transactional. Yeah. It's so interesting. Well, and you know, so I think it's interesting. We were talking so much about identifying that there's something going on because there's so much that goes into it. Burnout, yeah. tiredness, attraction, honeymoon, you know, like is the honeymoon over and your sexual chemistry has shifted. So 
getting into the second step. So anybody who's listening, they've navigated all these topics with us. They, maybe they're clear. Yeah, something's going on. I'm not just tired. I used to want to have sex a lot more, or, you know, my desire has changed. And you said, share it with someone you love. That could be really intimidating sharing it with your partner, especially if you feel like maybe your partner doesn't know what to do with it either, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So what would be the next step as it relates to that? So I, I want to acknowledge just one thing before we move into that, which yes. is there is something called arousal non-concordance. And I know that that sounds like a really, really silly science term, but what it means is that your brain and your genitals basically are not on the same page. Hmm. And this is something that can happen for all genders. And I, I just want to acknowledge because sometimes we can cognitively want something and cognitively know this is a turn on and yet nothing's happening. Mm. There's no tingles. There's no lubrication for a guy. He's not getting erect. Like, and then the other person thinks it's me. There's something wrong with me. Or the person that it's happening to is like, well, this relationship must not be for me or something we make meaning out of it. And that is an actual scientific issue that happens many, many, many times throughout life is this arousal non-concordance. So just in that identification piece, like if you're feeling that Google that and and explore it a little bit more. Um, and I, I wanted to toss that in there just before we moved on. Yeah, so the brain and the the vagina or the brain and the D aren't coming on yeah. the same page, pun intended. Okay. It, literally, exactly. Okay. Um, okay, so sharing it with someone that you love. Yeah. So hopefully you have the relationship with your partner or partners to be able to say, you know, hey, I, I'm sure you've noticed or you may have noticed or I don't know if you've noticed. I've been feeling this way. I don't like it and I want to do something about it can't, you know, I just, I want you to be on the same page, whether it's, can you help me or I'm going to take care of it, but I just want to fill you in like whatever capacity you want someone in, let them know Mm -hmm. our partners need to understand what we need. They're not mind readers. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we'll just assume, Oh, well, I'm not craving sex. So they must know something's wrong with me. Therefore they know what I need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't even know what I want for dinner. Yeah. Like how, how is my partner supposed to know what it's asinine when we really think about it. But in the moment we're like, no, they'll know. Figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So sharing it with someone that you love allows you to kind of have that accountability to then be like, okay, I'm going to go to my OBGYN or I'm going to go see my therapist or I'm going to go wherever that next step is that person that you love can then say, how was your therapy appointment? Or how was it going to see, do you want me to come with you to the OBGYN? You know, and this can be your best friend. It doesn't have to be your partner. If that's something, if it's more relationship or you're just not comfortable yet, but it's having somebody in your life that you love and trust with the awareness of what's going on so that you have that person that you can text in the waiting room when you're feeling anxious. Well, what about like making a decision when to tell someone, because for example, what if my guy just isn't feeling me for a week? Maybe he's stressed. Maybe I like don't look cute and have like seven pimples and he just can't get past it for that week. I don't know. Like, is it, is there a time to not share it and just be like, this is a, you know, water under the bridge? Because I think one of the things I have, I have a girlfriend, Chelsea crossed, um, maybe some 
people who listen to this follow her and she's amazing. And one of the best pieces of advice she gave me in a relationship is also knowing what not to share. And she's one of the most happily married people I know. And I really admire her marriage and her. And so when do you decide it's worth sharing to your partner? A good rule of thumb is, is this going to hurt my partner for no reason? Okay. So like you said, you know, like I have seven pimples and like I broke out, you know, and that type of a thing. Like, however, I do think that there is a way of letting your partner know how you're feeling without necessarily having to like dive into exactly why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it is that way. They're not like maybe tonight. Can I do it tonight? Is she going to want it tonight? Yeah. Like, so for example, if you're, let's say you don't like having sex on your period. Yeah. You can then tell your partner, Hey, (laughs) my period's supposed to come around Tuesday. I just want to remind you. So probably from like Tuesday to Tuesday, like closed for business. Yeah. Like caution signs all around me. Right. Okay. And then that way you're not being asked 17 times over those seven days for something that you're constantly then feeling like you're rejecting or that your partner then feels rejected. So let's say there's a stressful thing happening at work or your partner does have 17 pimples and you're like, I just, this is so unattractive. I don't know. You know, whatever the thing is for you, no judgment. It's okay to say, Hey, for the next four days, I'm just, I really need to like hone in on my own shit and I love you. I'm just, I'm not in a space where I want to physically connect. If that changes, I'll let you know. Mm. Um, But I just wanted to kind of give you the heads up so that you didn't think I was like avoiding you or trying to not do it. I just... I need kind of that time. You know, it's really powerful to be preemptive. I think in communication, I used to have tips with an old boyfriend, um, when we went to the farmer's market because the flea market, (laughs) because he would want to buy things on the spot. His parents would usually come. He'd be like, let's buy this dresser for our place. And then the parents would be there. And what I learned, it's kind of a metaphor is like preemptively handle the farm, the flea market before you walk in, you know, and life is kind of a flea market. There's a lot going on and it's like being able to be preemptive is so powerful versus reacting to that moment where your partner maybe wants you and you haven't communicated about where you're at. And, you know, it's it's so preventative. I love that. And when it comes to sharing it with somebody you love, um, so let's say it's a friend or even your partner, are there a couple rules of thumb or approaches that you recommend? Yeah, I, you know, depending on the relationship, hopefully it's somebody where TMI does not exist. Yeah. Um, and so you don't have to kind of filter yourself mm-hmm. and the, the biggest rule of thumb is only share what you're comfortable sharing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's no rule <laughs> that says you have to share every thought and similar to your previous point, like there's no rule that says you have to share every thought. If your partner is, you know, did something that you're just like, I don't know, I just didn't find that attractive. And now I'm like turned off for a couple of days and it's not a big deal. It'll come back. But like, I just, you know, you don't necessarily need to tell them that Mm -hmm. if you don't want to, but if it's something that then they could shift, then that information is super helpful. Mm, I love that feedback. So it's really just asking yourself, Mm -hmm. like how, how much am I comfortable sharing and why is that my limit? Mm. Why am I sharing this and why am I not? Mm. Cause it's okay to keep things for yourself. 
Yeah. It's okay to have things that you never tell anybody. And it's also okay to be somebody that there's someone in the world that knows everything about you. Yeah. It's like people buy into the belief that they're like robbing themselves or their partner of a level of connection or closeness by withholding information. But it depends on the toxicity of it. Like, are you withholding something like you cheated on them or are you withholding something that like, you know, it's like a weird little gruesome detail about your, you know, gynecologist appointment that they don't really right. need to know because it's not making any difference. You know, it's, it's funny because, um, my best friend, Nicole Napavar, who's also a therapist, she, you know, I tell her everything and her and I, it's been eight years. We travel the world together. We just have such a good time. And I was telling my mom, you know, William, my partner, he's like a male Nick. Like, it's so interesting. I've got my best friend and then they remind me of each other. And I was saying Nick with a dick, you know, and it's like <laughs> this was last night. I was just telling her this and we were getting a good laugh, but I thought, well, shit, this is kind of tough because sometimes I feel so close to him. I just want to say everything, but sometimes the relationship and the mystery and the passion and the romance, like doesn't need the thing. So I really love what you're saying. I think it's really important is sharing what they need to know to make progress in the relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And then, um, unless you have anything final to say about sharing it with somebody you love, you also gave the tip of finding resources. So anybody who's listening, you know, you identify something's going on. You're not just tired. Maybe there's a shift, share it with somebody you love, um, just connect about it and explore it. And then the third thing you had offered, uh, Rachel was just to find resources. So, you know, the U-turn podcast, obviously, but what else is there? Obviously, you know, we live in a day and age where when people say, I don't know what that is, or I don't know what that means. I'm like, okay, Go find that's out. a lack of resourcefulness, yeah. not a lack of resources. Yeah. Because we have little glass things in our pockets or purses that literally can look up anything in the world. So not to take Google, you know, every Google result with 100% truth. Obviously there's some double checking, getting second, third, fourth, fifth opinions, Um, but finding the resources that you know and trust. So I have a lot of people reach out to me that will say, you know, Hey, I know that you don't specialize in, um, child psychology, but do you know somebody who does Mm. right? Like use the people in your life that you know are connected to a certain industry or area and ask them for resources. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just have to be a straight Google search and then clicking through Wikipedia. Like go on Instagram and, and search for the hashtag sex education. I love that. I love that. Like there's, there's just so many things that we can do. And yet we kind of, and I say we, because I am 100% guilty of doing this too. It's like, well, I just don't know how to do that. And yeah. it's like, I do. We mm-hmm. all do. It's just We don't take the time, the energy, it's scary. Um, We don't want to ask for help. So just find the resources. They're there Mm -hmm. and ask. Like, Do you have any favorite resources? Like I love podcasts. I love Instagram. I think that there's more people on Instagram than ever putting content out every day. That's so educational. I agree. Um, What what are some of your favorite resources or what resources that shifted things for you? Because God knows I'm a bit of a hypochondriac, which I think is because I just love living. (laughs) And... (laughs) 
you know, people are like, you're such a hypochondriac. I'm like, do you think that there's something wrong with me because of this dot on my arm? Um, you're like, I just like being alive. I'm just okay, happy. Yeah. I'm just happy to be here, man. Um, yeah. but you know, like for, so for me, it's not really a good resource. I mean, I don't have that much of an issue, but like, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of like medical MD or web MD or whatever it is. Right. Um, right. but like, what are the resources that you actually feel for you have moved the needle around sex and love? So I will say a few things. Number one, I'll shamelessly plug our yes, own business. Yes, do it. I was getting ready to ask. We so it's great. create resources all the time for this. So we have a whole member hub that is completely free and has resources around mental health, sex, and relationships. Um, so I'll give you the link to, to put up. And it's, it's just a wealth. Everything that we ever create that is just a gift lives in there. And so great. it's like a freaking it's a stockpile of stuff. And for anybody who uh, doesn't make it to your, to the link on our, our show notes, if they find this on iTunes or something, what is the link? Can you shout it out or let people know where they could find you? Yeah, absolutely. So two, two best places. <clears throat> Number one is Instagram. Mm-hmm. So if you follow me, it's the right W R I G H T underscore Rachel R I C H E L. And I have one of those link tree links. So when you click on it, it takes you to like a bunch of different options and a bunch of the resources are listed there. So you can get them there or go to our website and you can sign up for a free account to, to get into the hub. Oh, so great. Okay. And beyond finding resources, you talked about getting to know yourself again. And I know we only have a little bit of time left and I know that there's so much here, but what are some of your favorite things to advise somebody who has low libido to get to know themselves again? Because I think anybody listening right now is like, does that mean I need to masturbate? Like what what do you recommend? (laughs) And you know what? Maybe it does, but it doesn't have to be the first thing. Uh You know, there's, I absolutely cannot stand the stigma around women and masturbation in our culture. It's like expected that males will start masturbating in their teenage years, which by the way, human beings, the average age of masturbation is 18 months old. Wow. That's so crazy. As humans, like all humans, as humans, all humans, because it is comforting and relaxing. Ah, uh, yeah. And you know, it's so funny, like little kids, they don't have any meaning yet of sex or right. body. So they're just like feeling little pleasure points and being like, Oh, good. You know, right. It's like their <laughs> elbow or their, t- like, it doesn't, it's the same thing. So anyway, this weird cultural stigma that we put around females and masturbation, it's like, uh, so interesting. Oh, it's so annoying to me. We are so advanced um, and so delayed. It's so interesting. <laughs> I know we have like self-driving cars and yet they're like, wait, women touch their own vaginas. I can't, I, yeah, it's outrageous. So getting to know your body again, like it doesn't have to start with, let me, you know, stick my finger inside of myself. It, it's like, touch your leg, touch your arm, get, get a massage, like feel what hands, whether they're yours or someone else's feel like on your body. Hmm. Do you like being, um, like if you were to take Okay. And anybody listening who's not driving can do this as we speak. If you were to look at your forearm, so take your dominant hand and hold it up in the air and then take your other arm and put it in front of you. So you're looking at your forearm, almost like you're looking at a watch and then take your dominant hand that you put up and just take your pointer finger and rub it back and forth on your forearm really lightly. And then increase the pressure a little bit. You see how different that feels? Mm. And then lighten back up Mm -hmm. and then go as light as possible. 
that feels different. And that is just your forearm and one finger. Yeah. It's just basic sensations. There's so much you could do with that. Like massages, like, I mean, so many things you could do to just get to know what feels good on your body. It's so interesting. And what do you do with that? It's like, Oh, noted, like feels good when I, like my ear gets tickled. Like then what do you do? So first and foremost, you have that for yourself. So you start knowing you and your body changes as, especially as women, we said, you know, we said at the beginning about like our hormones and every day feels different. Then we change as we get older. Like there's so many changes that we constantly have to re get to know Mm. our bodies. So doing this on a pretty regular basis is fantastic. And then we get to communicate that to our partner. Mm. So if our partner or partners are really, um, like deep tissue massage. And we're like, I actually really like when you just like tickle my back and play with my hair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We need to know that. Otherwise they're going to default to what that, what feels good to them. Totally. Oh my God. Yes. This is so And then they're like, why don't you, I don't understand. Like I like this, but if we don't know it about ourselves, we cannot say it. So just maybe keep a mental log of what feels good is a good starting point. Great. Absolutely. And then you said your final tip, which is perfect for us to end is practice rinse and repeat, just like all good (laughs) things that we commit to. Um, Rachel, this has been incredible. Remind everybody one last time where they can find you. Oh, thank you, Ashley. It's ditto. I have loved this conversation. Me too. Um, so Instagram at the right underscore Rachel and our website, which is right, W-R-I-G-H-T, wellnesscenter.com. And we are local in New York, but our whole business is online. So we do some local workshops here, but we're also mostly on the internet. So we have clients all over the world and I, I love reaching out and talking to people. So feel free to reach out, DM any questions. Like there's no stupid questions when it comes to this stuff. We're not educated in it enough. So I'm here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, my lovely friends. I am just sitting here focusing on this episode with Rachel Wright about libido and about uh, just I don't know what what really sat with me after this episode was this concept of how everybody's body has a different rhythm and you know so much of our function is outside of the circadian rhythm that we were meant for and a lot of the times we look at society and what people talk about as an indicator for us to mold our body to that way of being for example I just can't get off of my soapbox about this idea of being a 5.30 a.m. morning person or a 6 a.m. workout person. Um, The truth of the matter, and I've said this before and I just can't stop saying it because I think it's so powerful, is if you're a morning person or you're not, that's genetic. That's not really something that you can change. Of course you could go to bed earlier, um, but know that we are animals, we are mammals. And as humans, uh, we were born with a certain genetic makeup and of course there's nature versus nurture, but it is shown through studies that if you're a morning person, that is embedded in your DNA. I got I got loyalty and royalty inside my DNA. Sorry, little Kendrick Lamar for you. I was listening to that today. But I also just want to reflect Rachel's conversation about how men and um, 
the way that there's 24 hours in a day and that that really works with men and their biology. And I've gotten more and more interested in women's menstrual cycles and how that affects on such a deep cellular level, your hormones, your way of thinking, what's going on in your body, your receptivity, your emotions, and how real it is that if we look at our bodies with our menstrual cycle, every single week of our being is different because different things are happening in our body and that causes different chemical reactions. And so my invitation to you is to start to pay attention based on your menstrual cycle, based on your hormones, to how creative you are, to what your mood is, to when you're productive, to when you're not. Um, So you can do this on a micro level every single day. Are you more productive in the morning or in the afternoon? Are you a morning person? Are you an evening person? Like, where do you thrive? Where are you your most creative? But don't just look at it on a day-to-day basis because that is in alignment with the masculine circadian rhythm. I want to invite you into the feminine um, energy of really looking at your cycle and saying, okay, on the week before my period, I tend to be this way. On the week after my period, I tend to be this way. Start to look at your work results. Start to track it on a 30-day or 28-day calendar and just start to notice who you are. Maybe start to collect some data. I think that it's just so important to start to notice who we're being at work as it relates to our bodies. And I think that can provide good feedback for you know, let's say that you have a busy week with lots of phone calls or you're like me and you have a podcast. Maybe you want to record episodes on a week where you're more communicative and less feeling in your shell um, and more out there. I think it's so important to start to notice your specific body, your specific needs, and to adjust your workflow to that because that is such a beautiful way to love yourself, such a beautiful way to become more self-aware. And I'm sure that there's a slew of apps. I wish I could tell you which ones, but I'm a big journaler. So I just have a page in my journal that says, you know, days one, two, three, four, five, all the way to day 31 of the month. And I've been taking a little quick bullet every day of notes on how my body's feeling based on my cycle. And it's been really powerful for me to start to notice that in the middle of the month, I feel more creative towards the end, towards my cycle, I I get a little bit lethargic. These are all things to pay attention to. So uh, I know some business owners are very receptive uh, right before their period. They get really innovative ideas. Um, There's a book called The Red Tent that talks a lot about this. Um, And as always, you can find books on my bookstore at ashleystall.com under the resources tab. There's so much stuff there. There's freebies, there's bookstore all that kind of stuff. So tune into that. Sending you a lot of love. I hope you love this episode as much as I did. And I can't wait to connect next week. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has down the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode.